So we've been looking through the book of 2 Corinthians, um, which is an awesome, awesome book um, that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, funnily enough. Um, and it's a follow-up to 1 Corinthians and possibly another letter. And he's had this, this ongoing relationship with the church in Corinth, which has been at times really, really beautiful and at times really, really painful. Um, because the church in Corinth, on some things, they were just excellent and they got it and they ran with it. And on other things, like actually being kind to one another or being generous or including people in communion and stuff like that, um, they were pretty rubbish. And so Paul had to come down pretty hard on them um, and show them what living as a Christian looks like. Um, And in um, 2 Corinthians, he's going to spend two chapters. I mean, he didn't know they were two chapters when he wrote them. He just thought he was writing a lot of stuff. But a significant amount of content such that it's split into two chapters um, on the on giving, and particularly on a particular offering that Paul was looking to take. You see, um, the church in Corinth was a predominantly Gentile church, i.e. Gentile equals anyone who's not Jewish. Um, so most of you will know the church began um, with the Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew. He came as the Jewish Messiah. Um, and then in the book of Acts, we see the explosion. that Actually, this message of grace isn't just for one nation. It's for everyone. And so you get churches popping up all over the place with different ethnicities in them. Now, follow it a few years down the line, and things get really, really, really difficult for the church that is left in Jerusalem, for the Jewish church to the point that they are really struggling just day to day with living. They don't have any money. They're under severe persecution and things are really difficult. So Paul writes to the Gentile churches that are planted, that are doing okay, that live in these kind of trade towns and says to them, hey guys, I need you to step up and give to your brothers. I need you to to take an offering and send it to the church in Jerusalem because they're really struggling and they need your help. And it's this amazing example of when charity, when, when giving, crosses ethnic lines. Because in those, in those times, your ethnic, ethnic group is your core identity. And so what Paul is inviting them to do is to see past that and see that actually in Christ we're all one and we're all together and you need to give. Okay, is that fair enough? Now, before we move further into chapter 9, which is the second part of Paul's argument to the church in Corinth to take this offering seriously, um, I want to just share something very personal with you. Um, And that is that, and I'm sure no one else in the room has this, at times in life there are a couple of things where my enthusiasm in theory exceeds my enthusiasm in practice. For example... A few years ago, um, I decided that what I needed to do was to get a bike. And I was convinced that on the day that I got a bike, I would go from being pretty much a lazy slob (laughs) to being someone who loves cycling everywhere, including up Sydenham Hill, which I live at the top of, every day from work. I was convinced that as soon as I get a bike... All my barriers to personal fitness and well-being will be suddenly overcome and I will glide around through the streets of London. Maybe I'll voluntarily just go for a cycle up a big hill for the fun of it to grow in fitness. Anyone want to guess how that turned out? (laughs) Got a bike, got the lights, got the helmet. Week and a half. I'm pretty sure that's the most I made it. A week and a half. Now the bike is sitting in my garage with two punctures or at least two that I know of, (laughs) both wheels. 
Um, the lights are left abandoned, and it just makes a lovely apparatus for spiders. So that's good. There's a redemption element in the story. Or, like, occasionally, just occasionally, Melissa trusts me with the house and goes away for a weekend or something like that. Not so much now, because she's uh, busy being a mum at home. So it's difficult, because she doesn't trust me with the kids. Um, but uh, before we had kids, she would occasionally go away for the weekend. Um, and prior to the weekend starting my mind would go something like this. I'm going to be so productive this weekend. I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to do those DIY jobs that I've, been left, that I've left for six months. Then probably in the afternoon, I'll get out a cookery book. I'll decide on an awesome recipe to cook for the evening. I'll spend hours chopping and making an amazing stew. I'm going to look after myself so well. I'll open those theology books that have been sitting on my uh, uh, shelf for years and I'll just study for the joy of studying for hours. <laughs> Does anyone want to guess how that goes when it actually comes to it? Now, <laughs> so I'm sitting in front of the TV with a pizza. <laughs> and it's, um, The Corinthians' attitude to this gift is roughly speaking like that. Their enthusiasm in principle was amazing. When Paul first mentioned the offering to, him, they, to them, they were like, Oh yeah, Paul, we will give. That sounds awesome. We will contribute, we'll empty our purses, we'll give like we've never given before. It's going to be amazing. We'll send so much money, you won't know what to do with it. And then a little bit of time goes by, and a little bit of time goes by, and a little bit of time goes by. And Paul's like, there's not much sign of the gift, is there? Their enthusiasm in principle, much greater than their enthusiasm in practice. It's like those issues that you feel passionate about to like something on Facebook, but not passionate about to do anything else about. Does that make sense? Great. So in this uh, chapter, in chapter 9, Paul's going to give them a few arguments um, as to, like, how do I get you guys to move from enthusiasm about giving in theory to enthusiasm about giving in practice? How, do, how does he motivate us and them? But, but today we're thinking us as well, aren't we? How does he motivate us to action on this front? So, um, he says uh, this to them. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints. I mean, he's sort of being a bit tongue-in-cheek because he is writing to them about this service and the saints, right? He obviously feels there is a need. Um, for I know your eagerness to help. There's the enthusiasm. Um, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting um, about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. At some point, Paul's going to show up, and he wants to know, is there going to be something there for this church that I'm collecting for when I show up, or was it just air? For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. It would be pretty embarrassing. Um, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not one grudgingly given. Now, This can seem like one of Paul's more passive-aggressive arguments. So I just want to invite you to journey with me for a little bit before you make up your mind too much on that. But the first argument that he's going to use to get them to move into action um, is that in giving, we get to be a part of something bigger. He uses this analogy. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly 
will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The challenge is always in in giving, um, and particularly giving as a Christian, is to not think in terms of giving is spending, but giving is sowing. Now, if you think about sowing as an agricultural metaphor, which it obviously is, um, think about a farmer taking his seed out in his tractor or his wheelbarrow, or however, however they did it then. Kind of picture it in like one of those sacks on their side. Um, sowing the seed. I just want you to imagine what's the attitude of that farmer. Now, you'd be a pretty rubbish farmer if, if you've got your seed for the year and you're like, man, I really resent having to sow this because I'm losing it, right? Is that going to be the attitude of a farmer? No, very good. Quite right. I set you up for that, but still you're right. Um, No, it's not because what's the farmer actually doing? The farmer is investing in something that's going to grow. Or if you think about it this way, if your seed stays in your pocket, all it ever does is sit there. But if you let it go, if you let it go into the ground and you let it kind of, um, uh, I don't know what seeds do, break apart. And Jesus says when a seed falls to the ground and, and dies, it's kind of letting it die. You're letting it go. What can happen then is something new can spring up. Something beautiful can happen. And you get to be a part of something bigger. You get to be a part of something much more expansive than if you're just like, I've got my seed. I'm going to make lots of bread for me. Does that make sense? Great. Um, So that's his first thing, is to think not in terms of spending, but in terms of sowing, and that you get to be a part of something much bigger. Now, here's what I don't think he's saying, and we're going to come back to this in a little while. Um, I don't think he's saying that the more you give away, the more you will get back in, in kind. Does that make sense? Now, you can hang with me for that, because it does look a little bit like that's what Paul's saying. I'm not going to be trying, trying to be too tricksy with you, but I'm pretty sure that's not Paul's heart, and we'll get to why in a moment. Is that okay? I'm not saying that giving away means God won't bless you. He might. And, and Nigel said last week, actually, um, one of the things God looks for in people to entrust things to is people who are generous, because he wants us to be generous, right? Um, but I don't think Paul's saying, if you give generously, you will get back more money than you put in. Okay? Good, you're all with me. I like that. Um, now, uh, yeah, what kind of... When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a website um, that is called kiva.org. Has anyone ever heard of Kiva? There's been a kind of surge in the last few years of these kind of microfinancing websites. I recommend you look at it. Kiva.org, the basic idea is this. We're going to ask people to take their money that's sitting in their pockets and sew it into something and see what it becomes. So on Kiva, um, people around the world with no money um, can, can request a loan from someone else. So let's say I logged into Kiva and I said I can lend $50 or something. And then Kiva would find someone who wants to start a business but doesn't have $50 and they would give the money to them on a repayment basis. Not charity, it's a loan. But the loan is at 0% interest. Isn't that cool? So then, over two years, I get my money back. But I don't get any interest. In other words, my money gets to be a part of something bigger. My money gets to not just sit in my account, earning me 0.4% interest. 
but it gets to earn me the much better interest rate of zero because someone's getting to use the money to do something awesome with it. Do you see? I think that's what he's inviting them into. I think he's saying your money could sit in your pocket and be as big as that, or it can be a part of something awesome. It can be part of a whole economy, a way of moving. Make sense? Good. I think the last blah, blah, blah really helped clarify that. Um, good. Um, and he says, um, but basically, the more, then the more you invest, the more, the more it becomes. The more it becomes awesome. Um, good. If you're interested, look at kiva.org after you go home. Not now, on your phone. Don't do that. Um, but when you go home, have a look at Kiva. Um, ooh. Good. Um, second argument is um, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, you get to be free in what you give. Verses like this are the worst nightmare of church leaders. No one wants to preach on that. Um, what, what people in religious leadership love is like, what's the principle? What's the number? What's the percentage? How are we going to make this work? Because I just want to tell you how much you should give so that you should give it, right? And then you can give that amount and feel okay about yourself and feel okay about your finances and we can all go home and feel like we've done enough. Wouldn't that be nice? But the principle here is the principle of grace, which is a much more difficult principle to pin down because it's different for every single person. What we need to do with our finances is give in our heart, uh, is give how, how much we, f- we feel cheerful giving. Um, the reality of giving here is basically, Nigel's gone out of the room so I can say this, um, if you don't feel like you want to give to Forest Hill, we don't want your money. Does that make sense? That's, that's nearly right. Now, if you go home and cancel all your standing orders, Nigel will ask a lot of questions about what I've been saying here this morning. So please don't do that. Um, <laughs> but rather, what Paul's saying is, God doesn't care about our giving if our heart's not in it. We don't want you to give to the church so that you feel better about your money or so that you feel okay with God. We want you to give to the work of the church because you feel passionate about the work of the church, because you want to see the kingdom grow, because you're engaged, because you're enthused, because you're excited. And then when we do that, um, it's going to be awesome and we'll give loads. So that's really good. Um, So not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, there's a degree to which it's over to you and your heart and your spirit. And we have to work this through for ourselves. Now, that's quite a big responsibility, isn't it, really, when we think about it? Um, I was struck by this when I was prepping. I was thinking, how's my heart when I give? Um, And I realized that most of the time, my heart is absolutely disengaged when I give. And that's because of these beautiful things called standing orders. Now, Nigel mentioned standing orders earlier, and they are great. It's a really good way of giving regularly and um, like budgeting and allowing it to kind of happen. And standing orders mean I never forget. It just comes out of my account once a month. But because it just comes out of my account once a month and I don't notice, I can have a heart that's totally disengaged in the act of giving. Does that make sense? In a way that, so I was kind of struck by that. I was like, okay, I wonder if some of us, our hearts are kind of feeling negative about giving or feel like it's painful or feel like it's difficult, not into it. But probably for others of us, we're just, it so happens outside of our heart 
that we just don't even think about it a lot of the time? And are there contexts where we're still moved with compassion and moved to give? Does that make sense? Great. Um, okay, uh, really good. I think that's all I want to talk about there. Um, okay, third, third thing. And God is able to make... I'm just going in order through Paul's text, by the way. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things... At all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every or all good works. What's the key word? All. There's an overflow. Paul uses this word so many times as a kind of there's an expression of this overflow of God's givingness in this text. Isn't that amazing? Therefore, so God is able to make all grace abound to you. Isn't that great? What a good God we have. But, but, aha. Uh-huh. Well, not really, but. But I want to explore this text a bit more because there's so much in here. This, again, is one of those ones that you can look at and think Paul is saying one thing and he's actually saying nearly the opposite. Are you ready? No. (laughs) I mean, he is saying God will make all grace abound to you. He is saying that. Um, But we need to use his definitions of those things and not ours. So, God is able to make all what abound to you. Grace. Now, Paul has used that word grace in chapter 8 and this chapter, chapter 9. He uses it 10 times because the motivation behind giving and the theme behind giving is always the grace of God. Our, our, Our motivation is always God is first of all a giving God to us. He pours out into us and then we just become a part of the flow of his generosity. He used this word first in chapter 8. Um, in chapter 8, verse 1, right at the beginning, when he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace that God has given the church in Macedonia. What was the grace that God gave the church in Macedonia? Do you remember? That out of their... Can, has anyone got it? Has anyone got it? Sorry? Out of their riches? Any advance on out of their riches? Out of their poverty... Out of their poverty and persecution, they had this joy well up and they gave like they'd never given before. Isn't that interesting? So what if the grace that God wants to make abound to us, make sense? It's more about an attitude, whatever the circumstance, than a number. Okay, let's look at this. Um, Make all grace. And then he uses the word abound. Abound. There we go. And again, uh, abound. There you go. I use the laser. Aha. If you you fall asleep, I'll use it on you. Um, (laughs) I won't. That's a... (laughs) <laughs> Very malicious threat. Um, <laughs> um, th- that word comes up for the first time in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2, the very next verse. It says, out of their, their great poverty and their persecution, this, this thing welled up, is our English in our NIV. It says, it says welled up in rich generosity. That, that word, welled up, is the word abound. So what Paul is saying is God's going to make the same thing happen to you that happened to this church that was living in Poverty. Isn't that cool? Do you see there's kind of this subversive edge to what Paul is saying um, here? Uh, And then it says, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That word, okay, here's where we're going to go a little bit geeky for a moment. I promise this will be the one time this morning, I think, um, that we're going to go a bit geeky. Um, Having all that you need, 
there, there's a word there that I'm not going to try and say because I can't say it. But that word is only translated like that here. Now, having all that you need sounds like God is going to materially give you everything that you need to be able to give richly. And the implication becomes he's going to make you financially rich so that you can give richly, right? Elsewhere, that word is translated like this. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, Paul is berating people who see um, following God as a means to become financially rich. And he says, uh, that's just stupid. And he says, godliness with, do you remember? Godliness with something is great gain. Godliness with what? Contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Do you want to guess what, this, that, what that word translated contentment is? It's the same. Godliness with, there's this sense of enoughness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Or it's also used in Hebrews 13, chapter 5, uh, verse 5. Um, make sure your character is free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Guess what that word content is? Isn't that interesting? So far we found the word used in two passages that explicitly tell you, don't think about getting rich. <laughs> Not don't get rich. Don't be obsessed with getting rich. Does that make sense? And then this final one, Philippians 4 verse 11, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. And then Paul goes on to say this amazing phrase, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Isn't that amazing? That phrase, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is about finding contentment in whatever situation. Isn't that so interesting? I'm going to go off on a little blurb. During my sabbatical, which I totally loved, I visited other churches. um, And (laughs) you guys came off really well. Um, (laughs) One of the things I became really grateful for was this family as I looked around other churches. And like, I I learned some really cool stuff. But there was a lot that I'm like, oh man, I'm so grateful for Forest Hill and the way we are and the family we are. Oh, really? Yeah, no, that's very generous of you, actually. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, I'm so grateful for this. I went to one church, and I was so disheartened because the whole of the way through the service, the whole way, they just talked about money. And they even, the preacher stood up, and he talked about how God had made him get really, really rich, and it made him a millionaire by the time he was 30, and blah, blah, blah. And he used... This passage, not this passage, he used that Philippians passage that I just read from, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, as a way of getting us to admit that in Christ, with Christ's help we could become exceedingly rich. And, and then he was like, now turn to the person next to you and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I just felt so uncomfortable, because that's the exact opposite of what Paul was saying. It doesn't take a miracle for people to want to become rich and to use their religion as a means of benefiting financially. That doesn't take a miracle. It's not a miracle if Christians become rich. It's a miracle when we become content. When we become okay with what we have in whatever situation we're in because we're aware of the grace of God every moment of our lives. That's a miracle. It's not a miracle when someone rich gives some money. It's a miracle when I feel free enough and trusting enough in God's provision on my life in whatever situation I'm in that I open my wallet. That's a miracle. And the world won't be transformed by rich Christians. It won't be transformed when the church gets a bit richer. 
It will be transformed when people who other, from, from the outside look like, how are you trusting God like that? Trust God anyway. Does that make sense? There's such a bigger message here than if you give, God will give back to you with a bit of interest. God is not like a better savings account. He wants to change our hearts. That's the miracle of grace. He wants to go right to the depths of where I find my contentment. Okay, good. That's really what I wanted to preach on this morning. (laughs) Just going to slam that one down. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So um, uh, he even goes on. He says, as it is written, um, he who scatters... Uh, well, wait. He, he scatters abroad his gifts to the. He scatters. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. That's from a psalm celebrating what the life of a godly person looks like. It looks like this life of generosity, of sowing, of givingness. And then he says this. He now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now the harvest of your righteousness comes from that verse that we just read. His righteousness endures forever. It's that scattering. It's that giving. It's the generosity. Um, And then it says this. Now here we go again. You ready? You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. What does that sound like? Sounds like that's the opposite of what I was just saying. Again, where do those two words come up before? This is just so important with Paul because he's making an argument. He's subverting something. Those words come up at the beginning. Where did I leave my Bible? Down here. At the beginning of chapter 8 when it says their, their, their poverty... And their destitution, coupled with their joy and their faith, welled up in rich generosity. Do you see? What Paul is saying is, my prayer for you is that the same thing would happen to you as happened to them. That circumstances would be regardless. You would find the joy of giving. That's going to point to God. That's going to point to God. It won't, like, seriously, it doesn't point to God when people get richer, particularly. It points to God when we model the mind of Christ and the givingness of Christ and the God who just gives and gives and gives and gives and trusts and trusts and trusts and trusts. So that leads Paul to his final point, um, which is that through us, so through, through us, Paul is saying, we're going to show up, we're going to pick up this money, and we're going to carry it to the church in, in Judea, in Jerusalem. He says, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So the fourth argument is finally that you get to be a part of pointing people to the God who always gives. Isn't that cool? He says this, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people. So he's saying there's, there's this kind of really base level of what you're doing, which is people will get to eat because you give. That should be enough, right? <laughs> if that's not enough motivation for us to give, we've already got a problem. But he says it actually does even more than that. It goes further than that. that because of the, uh, oh, it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. 
thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Yes, he says what you're giving is, is it's an act of worship. It's not just something that comes with a checklist, like a to-do list of being a Christian. It's like stop looking at that, stop doing that, start doing this, give 10%. Like, it's not like being a Christian just comes with this checklist. But it's like actually when I give, I'm, I'm, I'm actually doing something that gives glory to God. I'm worshipping. Every penny that you give is an expression of worship. And so how much we give is an expression of our heart of worship. Does that make sense? But more than that, it also points other people. The people who get your gift aren't just going to say, wow, you guys are awesome. They're going to say, man, isn't God good? Isn't that so much better? That's so much better. That's, that's why the church should be known as a generous thing, which it isn't always around the world. Like, I feel like the church is known as we're charitable, like, by and large, and that's great. But we want people to see the generosity, not of ourselves, but of Christ at work. Does that make sense? We want, we want people to be able to look at the church and think, man, if only there was a God in heaven who was like that. <laughs> is that cool? Wouldn't that be awesome if that was the message that the world got from the church? That they looked at us and they were like, man, thanks be to God. So that's what he invites them into. That's what he invites us into. Incidentally, he ends, (laughs) thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks and gift. Those words also come from the beginning of chapter 8 verse 2 do you see what his argument is just always doing wrapping it back to this church in macedonia it's all a thing of grace it's all a response of grace and everything that we do is kind of part of that does that make sense okay enough scholarship let's i think we should talk to jesus for a bit because um we've we've obviously covered a lot of ground this morning and we've done lots of words and but really the important thing is is how my heart is when it comes to giving isn't it and so why don't we just ask the Holy Spirit for a while just to point to, like, are there things in my life or things in my heart that need to stand aside um, to move in this grace a little bit more? And then we'll pass the offering buckets around again. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> We're not going to do that. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't a subtle way of getting money out of you. I'm also not saying that you should just give to the church. You should, I think you should give to lots of different things. Um, that's my personal opinion and not necessarily representative of Forest Hill Community Church's policy. Um, <laughs> it's just my opinion. It is. It is Forest Hill's opinion. Great. Then scatter your seed abroad. Not like that. So uh, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit. Just say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? Just ask that simple question. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in my heart? And then just as he brings something to mind, um, whatever he's bringing to mind, just say yes. Just, Just say yes. Lord, thank you that you are the God who gives. That every, everything we are, everything we have, is a result of your constant, lavish generosity to us. Every time you think, you're generous. <laughs> every time you do anything, it's out of grace, it's out of love, it's out of givingness. Every breath that we have is from you. Thank you, Lord.
Lord, we thank you that we've gotten to this day because we've had enough. Because you've always given us enough. And whether it seemed like you were going to, we've always, (laughs) we've made it here. So Lord, I want to pray for our hearts. Um, Our heart as a church, but also our hearts as individuals. My heart is Sam. I pray whether, whether there's any fear just around financial giving. And I know there is. I pray that you just lift it by your Holy Spirit. I pray that where there's any resentment, that you would lift it by your Holy Spirit. Where there's any guilt, that you'd just lift it by your Holy Spirit. Where there's any self-righteousness, that you would lift it by your Holy Spirit. Where there's any greed, just lift it by your Holy Spirit. Where there's any feeling like there's not enough, Lift it by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to be people who who come at this thing from a position of being totally well in our hearts with you. Come from a place of health and wholeness and trust and plenty. Lord, we pray that you do such a work in us that it would be like like what Paul talked about in the Macedonian church, that regardless of circumstance, there's this joy in our hearts that just has to come out and that wants to give, that wants to be a part of it, that wants to uh, be a part of what you're doing in in the world. 